welcome to Stories from Home, Living the Just Transition, a podcast series by the Climate Justice Alliance that takes us behind the scenes in local communities building sustainable and equitable climate justice solutions in their own backyards. Climate Justice Alliance is a growing member alliance of 70 urban and rural frontline communities, organizations, and supporting networks in the climate justice movement. In Stories from Home, Living the Just Transition, we'll hear from the organizations, creators, and communities spotlighted in Story Snapshots, a new CJA project that draws from local arts, creativity, and culture to express the vision, heart, and day-to-day work of communities building just transitions across the Alliance. I'm Keenan Rhodes with CJA and the Kepper Institute in Indianapolis, and I'll be your host. Today, I'm excited to be hosting a special edition of Stories from Home, Living the Just Transition with CJA's Executive Director, Anhala Adrar. I was excited to speak with Anhala for a bunch of reasons. Not only is she a visionary thinker and longtime grassroots environmental justice leader, but she is about to pass the torch as CJA transitions into a more collective and distributed leadership model. I hope this interview will serve both as a historical tribute to Angela's tireless work alongside the 70-plus CJA member orgs just like mine, and also as a blessing of sorts as she takes on new endeavors within the movement. While I know Angela will still be around, raising a ruckus in the struggle with us all, I think it's important to learn from her in this moment and reflect on the last decade, honor what has been moved and led by those on the front lines of the climate crisis, and talk about where we might be headed. Added to all that, she's a dope human being and a good friend. Before we jump in, I want listeners to know we'll be hearing some terms that might not be familiar to everybody. So one of the most important ones is just transition. If you're really interested, listen to episode one of this podcast series in which CJA members and staff dig into what just transition means to them. But for a quick refresher, here it is. Just Transitions refers to the multiplicity of ways our communities practice shifting away from extractive economic models and policies, or as we call it at CJA, the dig, burn, dump economy, and toward just and liberatory economic models. Any just transition, no matter where it is and what it looks like in practice, must be rooted in local community control and consent. Just Transitions builds safe and sustainable energy while addressing the historical harm that has affected Black, Brown, and working-class white communities for centuries. Another term you might hear in this podcast is regenerative economy. A regenerative economy is the natural outgrowth of Just Transitions, away from extraction and towards regeneration. Okay, bear with me just for one more, y'all. False solutions. These are market-based schemes that pretend to address the climate crisis but actually maintain the status quo. They're championed by the corporations and global elites that continue to get rich off of our current unjust system and certainly don't want community-led solutions that counter the big industry profit motive. False solutions are the quick techno fixes like carbon pricing and geoengineering that do nothing to address systemic oppression or root causes of the crisis. They might sound slick on paper. But in reality, they continue to harm frontline communities, whether that be from industrial pollution, experiments without community or tribal nation consent, accelerated economic disenfranchisement, and racist violence. False solutions hold corporate wealth, not human wealth, as their prime motivator. All right, so I know that was a mouthful, and I hope y'all got all that. And if you don't, 
stick around. Angela does a much better job than I do at explaining some of these pieces. Angela, how are you? Who are you and like, how did you get into this work of climate justice? Yeah, I feel that 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 question of who you are is constantly shifting, but like the roots of who you are and where you're going and becoming um, come come back to uh, just who my family is. I am now a mother of two. Uh, my son's having a birthday today. And uh, I come from a, a long a generational culture of farming on the land. So my grandmother farmed the land and raised 11 children on the land as a single mother. Um, and I continue to have some of those, those practices and that culture still with me and teach that to my children. Um, and it led me into also um, doing a lot of work around food sovereignty and finding the intersections between food sovereignty and a just transition, not even knowing that, you know, food sovereignty work was called a just transition, but knowing that we needed to have an understanding of our practice and culture and our dignity in relationship to food and nourishment um, and those that farm the land and have that direct relationship with the land. Um, and that, you know, started moving me into working around climate before climate was so much uh, a political, economic, ecological term. We were still calling everything environmental justice as we should um, with a clear vision of what the intersections are between the roots of climate change, which reside in you know, economic, racial, um, gender justice, and the need for communities themselves to be shaping the solutions. And so um, we've worked with a lot of our members uh, before coming in as an executive director, first time as an ED, and have learned so much over these last four years about decolonizing nonprofit industrial complexes, about struggling to maintain um, influence and um, shift the gravity of influence uh, where it really needs to be, which is at the front lines of those most impacted by the climate crisis. So I brought a lot of that in to my, um, my role here and the relationships that I've been forming that go beyond work, you know, go beyond um, the struggles that we um, work on collectively from one mobilization to another and, and been able to form family ties with um, the people that form part of the alliance and, and a lot of the partnerships that we've developed with um, people that see the value of us being organized for environmental justice and climate justice. So I, and thank you um, first for sharing a bit about your personal story and um, who you are. So I want to ask, um, and you started to touch on it, talking about, you know, the legacy that you were raised in and being a part of um, and connected to the land um, and that being part of like your, uh, the culture in which you were brought up in. But um, also, could you speak to, um, and from like any perspective, whether it be, um, you know, 
economic, political, or even a spiritual perspective, why climate justice is why climate justice is so important to you? Yeah. Um, so the justice piece particularly has is something that's generational, um, ancestral. A lot of my family, uh, like my great uncles, were engaged in the in the labor movement in Colombia, and uh, my mother immigrated with my brother and I uh, when we were really small from Colombia. Uh, immigrating away from violence and um, the kinds of oppression that uh, the U.S. has had a, a, a big role in um, moving forward in Colombia, everything from the war on drugs to um, the extraction around oil and resources. My, my father worked in the emerald mining industry. And um, even when we moved here with my older brother and, and I and my mother, we, um, we lived in, in EJ communities, like not really knowing that, right? So we lived in, uh, in Detroit and uh, in Queens and Miami and all of those places um, were places we called home, but we also not knowingly were like breathing in like high levels of pollutants and living uh, right by a, a lot of extractive industry. Um, not knowingly, like we knew we were poor. Um, and as we started exploring more and getting more educated through popular ways, like joining community meetings and um, just understanding our neighborhood in a different way, uh, realizing that that we were actually living in places that sustained other other economies or other people and 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 gave that power to the power they like the actual power financial wealth um, and the energy power that comes from this polluting industry wasn't really used by us in, in, in our communities but was mostly extracted and used in other places so a lot of that history brought me into wanting to do that work um, and to see the connections in that way. So now let's definitely get into that work. So it's 2010. Um, CJA is just taking root as just an alignment process at this point. Um, and even in 2016, you became the executive director. So um, can you take me through the beginning of the formation of the Climate Justice Alliance. Uh, where is Angela at in her life and what's going through Angela's mind of like, you know, uh, of forming and being a part of the formation of this alliance? Yeah, I always try to tell the story of the alliance because it's, it's so indicative of like how we self-organize and, you know, we struggle to be able to resource the movement so that we can do work and we can do it effectively and do it, you know, 100 years down the line. But CJA actually started and, you know, not as who we are now with, you know, staff and budget and, um, you know, our, our annual meetings. We actually started in 2010 around that time as an alignment process. Right. I think a lot of our EJ, EJ groups, um, founding groups that had been have been around for 30, 
40 years now, some of them even 50 years coming out of the 1991. Um, in the 90s, really strong EJ roots came together and realized that there's like tons of greens in in that moment in 2010 and around that time um, making decisions that would impact environmental justice communities for generations. Um, and so we were in this very organic process of checking in with each other, like we used to do back in the day, right? Like you just get on this call after hours work and started to say like, well, how do we organize ourselves to be a force to again, shift influence so that we can be seen and our work can lead how the nation and the world is talking about climate. Um, you know, 2010 people didn't really know a lot about climate in terms of like the terminology um, in our communities. You know, we still struggle to make that like carbon centric, scientific, white leaning approach to climate um, digestible to our folks. And we shouldn't have to do that. And we weren't trying to do that in 2010. What we were trying to do is really change the narrative and talk about the intersections of justice and the fact that there was this ecological imbalance happening um, and that we as communities on the front of, of that crisis emerging and in the moment um, were already um, engaging in these really incredible kinds of solutions and fighting the worst industry basically with no money at all and almost invisible when it came to like all of these conversations that were happening at the intergovernmental level, like at... Um, the Conference of Parties internationally in Denmark and then in Cochabamba, the different Conference of Parties were emerging at, the, at this international level. And a lot of the folks that founded CJA have been engaged in those conversations of like, what, does, what do we need to stop this climate from changing so radically that it's going to harm the people in the planet in a way that we will never be able to recover so that was 2010, and we were negotiating what needed to happen. It's kind of funny because what we were saying in 2010 is still what we're saying now. And we have to make sure that whatever solutions we're doing is actually cutting down the emissions that is changing the planet, but it's also having to cut down other pollution and have a justice-centered approach. So folks got together in Detroit. Detroit was Detroit is such a center of so many things. You know, they they are on the forefront of of um, racial, civil rights, um, justice movements, Black Panther movements, and they also the, the formation of how CJ started. So we got together in Detroit and started um, having these moments where we would bring communities from different places together to start just exchanging with each other, having deep conversations of what needed to be and what needed to happen urgently so that we could address the harm that was happening in our communities, shutting down power plants, shutting down um, um, extractive industry, uh, landfills, incinerators, et cetera, like waste treatment plants, et cetera, because um, together we're stronger than we are. You know, one community, one community has a lot of power, but when we're bringing all these communities together, um, that power which we call translocal power is just amplified and it's not only amplified to do the work, it amplifies and like feeds your soul because you see a similar soul in the same struggle with you and you have, you know, this regenerative like hope that you all, you all together 
us all together can make the change we need. And that was the beginning of how CJ came together. A lot of this happened in California, like it's happening on the coast. It was happening in communities. We also had important gatherings and Black Mesa Water Coalition, um, you know, the founding of, of making sure that as we're setting out this long-term vision for what it means to have justice at the center of our solutions around climate, that we're centering also those most impacted indigenous communities, black communities, um, uh, Latinx, Pacific Islander, Middle Eastern communities, folks that have been like historically just X'd out of the solutions that green groups, you know, these more conservative, traditional environmental groups have been, um, you know, in the solutions that they've been putting out. Wow. So, I mean, in a nutshell, like CJA started out as like this organic, um, this organic feeling that was rooted in like, how do we better care for each other and how do we better care for our environment? And then how can we do that collectively together as community um, in order to be able to make that change that we want to see? So, well, at first that's, that's beautiful. And also it's like very reflective of um, just like movement you know, how movements begin uh, in the first place. I feel like a lot of movements begin out of just that organic, like, community need from the folks that have been uh, traditionally left out of um, the conversations and regarding control and access resources and that share of power. So now, and we are now in 2020 in the midst of a pandemic, um, and, I mean, it seems like... 2020 like just turned uh our understanding of the world like upside down um but at the same time cja as well as um its member orgs have been continuously doing um a lot of work so can you tell me about how those original thoughts and feelings um from cja and that organic community need like basically the metamorphosis that now in 2020, uh, CJ now five years in existence as an alliance, like how has that changed? And um, what's changed and what's still the same? Hmm. Yeah. Just taking a breath because there's so much that has changed. And uh, there's uh, so much loss over these la this last year and over the years since we've started because the conditions have gotten so extreme and urgent. Um, and on top of that, we've got the threats, uh, fascist threats. We've got the threats on our Black family. We've got threats coming in from um, industry. Uh, we also see economic, the, like the real economic downturn that we're going to be all experiencing because of COVID, we're feeling a little bit of it now, and then it, it's going to continue to happen. The level of unemployment is um, is underreported, and, and even in that, it's still um, unprecedented. We also see like a number of states experiencing the highest level of COVID right now. We know that COVID and EJ communities, um, those folks that live in EJ communities that are more susceptible to COVID, um, that black and brown communities are, are dying at a, at a higher rate than other communities. 
And so I think all of this has impacts and stressors for those on the front lines so much more than other communities, but it also has stressors for um, the way that we organize. Things are different. We, we are a, an alliance that has focused on direct action, on direct impact, um, on people power, on, on soul and um, spiritual connection, on the, the importance of bringing culture to the forefront of our work. And so uh, we've all learned to do those things in a different way and to still have impact. Um, our communities being organized together has led to being able to influence, um, you know, everything from local policy moving on the ground. Uh, I just saw on Twitter the, the other day this beautiful, like, how-to um, from El Vejo, uh, Little Village Environmental Justice Organization in Chicago, sharing like, how do you shut down a power plant? Like, that is some of the most valuable learnings that are being shared right now. New Jersey just passed the strongest environmental justice legislation. New York just shut down Industry City, which was this um, development nightmare that was going to take away the vision of a community that worked so hard to build renewable energy into their community and have a vision for their waterfront and for their future. And so they were able to take that down. Um, we see communities in California organize against cap and trade, which is uh, you know market-based solution that doesn't actually reduce emissions at source and continues to pollute in environmental justice communities. And then you know we see people forming relationships for lifetimes. Part of what we do is like soul for work that keeps people in the struggle. Um, and that work we're really digging into now. Like we're learning, like we want to have impact, but we don't want to burn our people out to the point that they are struggling to stay in the movement. We want to have a space where people find their political homes, but they also find the relationships that they can have for their lives and that they can come back to when they need to feel um, the nurturing and the nourishment of being in community, even if we can't be seeing each other. We've been doing this kind of like, you know, we use the Zoom. We've been doing the Zoom for a long time, but we've also learned that there are key moments in our history when we feel like we can come together and benefit from, from recognizing that we've been in a struggle. Maybe it was the, the, the 2014, you know, 200,000 people in the streets in New York experience where we really, you know, put the folks that were most impacted at the front line and helped shape a new narrative, right? In 2014, people just thought about climate change. It was, it was mostly white kids out in the front or, or white scientists talking about the dangers of climate. In 2014, we started shifting that. So that was literally, um, you know, just a like four years after we started kind of organizing in this very organic after after hours way and trying to figure out how we're, we're shifting and resisting a narrative that doesn't serve us. Um, in 20. 16, when I came on, like CJA developed a vision together and they were like, in four years, we're going to have our power communities everywhere and they're going to be connecting to each other and they'll be really clear about what just transition means for communities that includes workers, but not just workers, right? Because we're not, um, we're not these compartmentalized people. We don't just, we're not just workers. We're workers that live in communities. We're families. We're full people. And so we started exploring with the roots of those that have worked so hard in Just Transition um, to expand the model of Just Transition and start 
adapting it culturally to the different kinds of communities that were adopting it or who had been doing it for generations, but who felt like, oh, in this in this um, community of other environmental justice, economic justice community groups, we can explore what it feels like and looks like and um, tastes like. Um, what what just transition feels like in the in our communities together and experiment with that and so that I feel like now we're fast forwarding to COVID a little bit before COVID and we've been able to pivot and use that trans local organizing to also center influence at the national level uh, you know all of us have been in this fight against fascism and to see the world turn towards that in an explicit way, even though we knew the undercurrents of that fascist right-wing populist movement was very alive, to see the country move in that direction and then to bring try to bring it back in this year and this recent election has been, I think, encouraging. But it's also, we know that that work has many layers. Part of it is tearing down white supremacy, and we can do that in the work that the way that CJ works in within the Alliance and the way that we pivot towards the balance of ecological um, health and individual personal health or community health with um, the need to have justice at its core. And so the work we do, we don't ever think is um, compartmentalized towards just the environment or the way that environment is expressed in um the masses, but the way that environment shows up in our history and the way that we want our families to be in, in relationship to Mother Earth moving forward. So we've been, you know, engaging that and helping our allies and our partners also see that there are different ways to approach uh, a clim- climate justice that support the voices of those most impacted. You know, we use the MS principles, we use the environmental justice principles, we uplift the people that gave their vision to creating those so that we could be in a better movement together. Um, we have the CJA print just transition principles, but basically say, you know, we have to be engaged in a meaningful way, um, engage in meaningful work, have self-determination, center our culture and our traditions and work towards a, a regenerative ecological new economy. And so a lot of our work has been centered around building out and building the vision for this regenerative economy so that others that come after us don't have to ask for a just transition, but can actually live and benefit from the fruits of what a regenerative economy is. Wow. (laughs) Just to say the least, like, wow, of so much change. And I mean, Real quick, just just I have to ask. You don't even have like notes open, do you? No. Yeah, all of them. <laughs> you know what's funny? You we did this prep, and then I can't find the notes. So here we are. I'm like riffing. So this might not be going. Oh. Right. <laughs> <laughs> this is, and it was like it's so. Good. And I remember when we were um, last when we were all uh, <laughs> last physically like together in the same room um, in DC. Um, when all the fellows got a chance to meet each other and be inducted into like this fellowship um, with CJA, I remember uh, <laughs> me and Diop were like looking with astonishment as you laid out like a, a fully super detailed plan 
for like the next five to ten years talking about all these like ma- how the major elections like intertwine with uh the plan like where cja like the trajectory and the growth i mean it was like so i don't know that's just just like small <laughs> notes and small things that you notice about people thank you, you know that uh just just beyond like impressive um so um oh man i appreciate okay. that <laughs> let me okay let me get my bearings together so okay so the question I want to ask, and I mean, you spoke to it in, um, in the midst of that of that last response that you gave. Um, tell me more about like, and actually, and I'll, I'll preface with a little context. So, um, I feel like there's pieces that you touched on and, and touched on within that response about c- cultural differences and cultural understandings. Um, that we live in a culture that um, is based on, like, you know, consumption, mindless consumption of um, of the environment, of natural resources, and is not one that's focused on uh, regeneration, not one that's focused on um, authentic and real relationships. So can you tell me about a little bit more about, like, the cultural roots of the problems that we see today? Um and then the culture that um, the culture that you and others within this movement are trying to create for a better future. What is that desired future state um, that you and others that you work alongside um, are looking to create? Sure. That's a big question, Keenan, because that part of the vision is saying, well, we first have to be in community to and we have to have those most impacted have that vision put forth and centered. And so that is like the assumption, right? That we're moving towards a future in which those most impacted by the crisis, as we see it in terms of climate, or as we see it in terms of racism, or all of those isms together, that that climate is actually not, is, is more of a symptom than the outcome, right? it's a symptom of this whole system, and that the roots of that symptom are more grounded in the economic, racial, um, patriarchal injustice that is feeding the economy right now. And so that is a lot to be able to do. It's so much easier to say, hey, I'm just working on this one thing, Um even doing that is not enough to be able to change the tsunami of ecological imbalance that we're going to be experiencing in less than eight years and that we're experiencing now, right? Our families in the Caribbean, in the Gulf, our families in Bangladesh, in Honduras, in Central America, in California, we're all experiencing record wildfires. We're experiencing droughts like we've never seen before and we're seeing the impacts of storms hitting and hitting and hitting again I think this year alone we've had close to 30 storms in one season and they haven't been the light kinds and they're moving they're they're not only hitting the south anymore they're going up to North Carolina we're getting tornadoes where we didn't think we were going to have tornadoes 
And we're still seeing that the economies continue to extract the way that it has since the Industrial Revolution began. And so part of it is, is understanding that and be able to start from that versus saying what the mainstream environmental organizations say, which is we just had to get rid of the carbon, which is also um, a false solution. So we've spent a lot of time as an alliance trying to come together on, on both the vision uh, beyond election, section, election cycle to election cycle to a vision that we can see um, 10 years from now, 100 years from now, like you were saying, right? Like how do we all have and create and protect space to give ourselves the right to think that far ahead and to see ourselves and our children that far ahead? Um, that doesn't get funded so much <laughs> by, by philanthropy, right? You're getting funded to fight the today fight. Um, so something that we're really proud about in the Alliance is to create that space to do that um, and to build the institutions like the Alliance and the communities on the ground to make sure they're there in a hundred years. Uh, we're also helping, uh, especially with this new administration coming in, helping all of us have a united front in resistance to false solutions. Uh, there's such a um, rush to be able to do climate work without really understanding what solutions under the umbrella of climate are actually hurting communities and which are helping them. And most importantly, like I said before, which ones are actually coming from the communities most impacted, like our folks, how often are our folks the ones centering and driving the conversation? So, you know, we've said a couple things as we're making sure we're holding this space is that we're envisioning, but we're also calling out like anything that continues to concentrate wealth power. If it's a solution around climate that's coming into a community that's displacing or imprisoning communities or poisoning communities by continuing to emit um, pollution in our communities, then that is a false solution, even if it somehow continues to also reduce greenhouse gases. It can't be one or the other. Like we want greenhouse gases to be reduced, but it also has to be reduced in the communities most impacted. And um, you can't imprison or displace or sacrifice our communities to be able to then have an electric car or to be able to you know, bring solar panels to your neighborhood. Um, and those are complex um, concepts that feel hard to ground when folks haven't had the history of environmental justice as a forming, uh, as a forming supportive um, historical context to the fight, the most urgent fight that we have right now. So part of it is sharing our history, like talking about our ancestors, talking about how we got here, a little bit like the conversation we're having right now. How do we get here? Why do we form? Why do we come together? Why do we build this alliance? Why, do, why are we uniting um, under a just transition? And who are we fighting? What, when will that fight pivot to building the new? And how do we hold both of those complex things, fighting the bad and building to the new while also making space to be human and to have an active role in our communities that builds joy and restores um, more than Mother Earth and us as human beings, but restores a vision for the future. Hmm. So if 
And well, thank you first. That like as I look forward in building this future uh, alongside you and alongside others, um, I'm very grateful for being able to share space with people that have that similar mind or like to, that can um, look at today and look at the problems and challenges that we face today and still see um, the potential for beauty in the world. Um, so with that, I do want to ask, if there's one thing that you wish you or the movement had known 10 years ago, what would it be and why? <laughs> oh my God. I'm, I'm very much a person that like to look forward. Um, but 10 years ago, that would have been 2010. And 2010 is when CJ also started to get its roots in the ground. I was at the um, May 2010, I was at um, the World People's Conference on Climate Change in Bolivia. And it was one of the first uh, kind of people's conferences after Denmark that created space for popular movements to gather and have our rooted interpretations and solutions around climate. That was one of the first places that I had exposure and understanding around the local to global impacts of our economic um, and political decisions in terms of the fossil fuel industry and its impacts um, at the global level. So we were like with indigenous people from the Amazon and, you know, all the incredible diversity of indigenous people that um, are on Turtle Island and um, across the Americas, um, folks that had come from all the four corners of uh, Mother Earth to participate in this. Um, and I, I guess at that point, if I was going back to that moment, I would have wished I known how powerful a movement um, we were on the way of developing together. I, I had known about the environmental justice roots that we had from the 90s and many of those uh, founding folks that actually wrote, you know, the working together principles and the environmental justice principles were in that space, navigating the threats of climate change. If I'd known how urgent it was, what state we would be in now with less than eight years to make changes, um, I would have uh, made sure that we were organizing and doing this at a much more rapid level, like I felt like we oftentimes don't know the amount of power we have, the amount of influence we have, and with the urgency that we are experiencing now, um, going back in time and not standing for cap and trade, not standing for uh, added pollution in our neighborhoods, not standing for um, the way that we've seen our communities ignored 
that that's something that we've been doing overall definitely the folks on the ground the community groups on the ground have been doing that for generations but to see more of our international national community pointing in that direction and ensuring that we're getting resources to be able to do that work not you know in the small way that we've been doing it because the resources haven't been positioned to give us the space and energy and we've been fighting off the threats uh, from so many levels, but to really encourage not only those that have been doing climate work, but everybody that has something to lose when Mother Earth changes dramatically and when the ecological balance shifts permanently. Um, I wish I would have had that foresight to see that because we were working towards it and we knew it was happening, but to see it before our eyes in a way that it's devastated communities is both a reminder that we are stronger when we work together and we also have one of the most urgent um, problems to resolve together. The only way to do that is to center our frontline communities and those most impacted in getting us out of that crisis. Wow. Yeah. Had we not, had we known I don't know, maybe I would have been a different person if I knew 10 years from, like 10 years ago, what I know now. I mean, 10 years ago, like granted, I was 14. Um, <laughs> I was 16. Um, <laughs> 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 I think that's, oh, oh, that's good. Okay, let's see. So... We are um, running up on time, and I want to make sure that I ask this question. Um, and I feel like because it's just very important to understanding, um, and it's very important so that you know those that are listening also have a clear understanding of you and your move, uh, your own personal growth as a person um, within the larger context of this movement. So I want to ask. Um, Actually, I'll preface it with a quote um, from Octavia Butler. All that you touch, you change. All that you change, changes you. The only lasting truth is change. God is change. So, in asking that, um, what has changed within you? What have you learned about yourself doing this work? Uh, learning and unlearning focusing on leadership development or passing the torch, leaderful movement building, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, what have you learned about yourself doing this work and what has changed? That's a deep question and something I'm contemplating a lot as I'm transitioning um, and opening up space for CJ to be, again, an example of the kinds of changes we need to make to be a political and uh, full home for communities that want to continue doing just transition together. Um, I've learned so much in terms of the power that we as communities have um, and the challenges still yet to come on challenging those that want to keep communities out uh, from a political standpoint, from a financial standpoint, um, 
and the fact that uh, the communities that we work with, everywhere from Guam, Puerto Rico, uh, the Northeast, indigenous territories, communities, that they all have this incredibly rich ancestral wisdom that comes into the work that we do. Um, that our greatest challenge is really decolonizing the way that we come into the world together. And that the systems that we're trying to crush and then recreate in a regenerative way also mean that we have to be able to restructure the way that we are in relationship with each other. Um, that for a lot of the work that we do is so outcome based and that we have to come back to people centered approaches and approaches that have respect for the land, for the people that are essential in helping us cultivate that land. A lot of that comes from my own roots. And I see that play out in terms of like the kinds of solutions that we're seeking and the kind of world that we're trying to build together. You know, recognizing the role of even leadership itself. What does leadership mean? And at the Alliance, the, lead, the members lead, the communities lead. And that is hard to do when there is a whole wave of, uh, of a contrasting vision of what leadership is when it comes to climate. But in general, right, we have this one leader approach when in fact the world is moving towards a, plural, a plurality of leadership concepts and grounded leadership that is intergenerational and joyful and cultural and, and resonant, um, that we can be joyful and, and laugh with each other and still be in the struggle with each other. And that is actually the, the nourishment that keeps us struggling. So I'm learning all of that and I continue learning that. Um, we're trying to change the way that CJ is um, like existing. So rather than one, one kind of hero leadership model we're opening up the ways of working to like a collective uh so when i leave cj there'll be a collective leadership model where there's a triad of directors that work to implement the work that the elected members put in place and that that everybody's having some level of distribution uh, distributed leadership and that that is the only way we're going to be able to address the massive challenges that we need to face. There's work to be done internally amongst us because as grassroots group, we're not a monolith. And there's work that we have to do externally together with others to be able to have this wave of hope take over. So I'm in that journey. Um, I'm moving to another place within the movement, but it's... Um, not like I'm leaving all of this behind. It's I'm putting it in my backpack and continuing to walk forward and, and being in relationship with everyone and carrying that into my story. What a beautiful note to end on. Thank you so much. Thank you, Keenan. If you like what you hear, please share this episode. 
donate at climatejusticealliance.org, and sign up for our newsletter for updates. Also, let us know what you think of the podcast. You can find all our contact information, including social media, at climatejusticealliance.org. Story Snapshots is a project by the Climate Justice Alliance. From local to international, from prairies to mountains to island shores, from youth to elders, we work together toward a shared vision for the future. Stories from Home, Living the Just Transition is produced by Jessica Zhao, Keenan Rhodes, Olivia Burlingame, and Samantha Harvey. Our sound editing team includes Elijah Pogues, Jennifer Wager, and Callie Wright. The music is One Fine Day by The Insider and Stuff Will Never Love You Back by Dr. Turtle.